Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Offline Gamer. As usual, I'm Matt and unfortunately at the moment Ray can't be here because they're stuck at work. Um, but don't despair, you haven't got me just blabbering on for the next hour or so. I've been joined by two friends of the show, Kirsty and Phil from Ludos Volpez. Guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for pronouncing Ludus Volpez right as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched one of the videos before I did it to yeah. make sure I pronounced it Ludus and not Ludos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, so for those people who, who don't know you, um, why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself and where the name of your channel came from? It's obvious if people know you, but obviously not everyone yeah. knows you, so take it away. Uh, so I guess Ludus um, is like anyone in gaming knows Ludo, Ludo Ludology, Ludus, any any lewd, any lewd. That's wrong. Uh, <laughs> but any that's any the podcast we're doing later. Later, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> the offline gamer after dark. Uh, <laughs> but um, and so that that's um, a game or to play or uh, it's, it's Latin and Latin being a contextual language it. It can change its meaning depending on how you associate it with whatever's around it, and um, we both shared like a, a, the surname Fox, so gaming foxes or playing foxes or words to that effect. So Ludus Volpes, Volpes's fox, and so it kind of just all came together. Yeah. We we when we met, we both got our own businesses that were both fox orientated as well. I was I, I was I'm sort of bright fox, um, and you are the radiant fox. So. So, yeah, yeah, both completely different points in life, uh, just had similar name businesses and then lockdown happened, businesses couldn't take place and actually board games, let's, set up, a, let's set up a YouTube channel. <laughs> so, yeah. So, two, two so whose idea was, because that's what I was going to ask is whose idea was the uh, the channel? Ooh. I'd argue it was your. Uh, it was yours, and I. I said I'd always said I wanted to do a YouTube channel, and and you want to do more about board games. So yeah, it was kind yeah. of like a bit of a joint effort. I think Kirsty was probably the driving force of actually getting it up and running and getting it going. Um, and and we started with, we you, you know how you start these things for fun. Yeah, uh, because you should start things for fun. Yeah, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and we started with a little eight, a little A to Z of board games, mm. um, which was like twenty six videos, obviously. But like yep. it was, it was, it was fun. Um, yeah, looking back at those videos now, if don't anyone, do it. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't watch don't the early back. ones. <laughs> wow, nice. bad lighting, bad all yeah. sorts, bad audio, bad audio, yeah. bad rooms. Um, yeah, everything like it was so amateur setup. The first one, I don't even think there's an intro. We don't even say our name. No. So nervous, so so stiff, so wooden, almost reading off sheets of paper, and then through to like now, where it just just kind of rolls off your tongue, and you just yeah, it, it almost comes out accidentally sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely come a long way hasn't it and to be fair um it almost began as a little bit of a in terms of instagram as well it was more of a journey of my journey into board games and miniature um like painting actually it started off as and then board games got stronger and stronger and it became something that was a lot more 
board game orientated as opposed to the miniature painting. Um, but yeah, the early days of the the mm. miniature painting was quite zen, very zen at the time. Yeah, I did a I did a, a, a miniature painting video on one of the early videos. It's still up there, <laughs> and for. 12 months that was our most viewed video much to your oh, disgust really? yeah, it was, yeah. like, there's not I, there's, you can't see me just my hands painting there's no Kirsty in it and Kirsty's like why are videos with me not getting more, <laughs> more views and more traction I took it so it's personally min- yeah, miniature yeah, painting ASMR that's what it is yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. that's what it is I, I, was, I was going full Bob Ross um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. it's been a like it's such a like an exciting hobby journey I think mm. and yeah there's part of me that would recommend doing something more with the hobby to any genuine hobbyist who's got a, mm. you know, has genuine passion for the hobby because, and you'll know, and I know, you know, but it, it, you meet people you would never have met oh, by yeah, absolutely. stepping into this, stepping into the other side, I guess, from just mm. the playing games to doing something more with it. And you meet people you would, you would never have met. And that, has been a real privilege, I think, over the yeah. last couple of years, especially the last 12 yeah. months, true privilege. I think when, I think Aircon was a big change for us um, last year, and it was the first point of which we said, let's line, let's have a few interviews. But what, what's the worst <laughs> that can happen? They say, no, we're already booked in with other people. And it was very much like, we. I think um, we, we're, Met up with one of the um, exhibitors there that used to be part of our local Bromsgrove board game. Pete Hazelwood. Pete so, Hazelwood. Pete. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, massive, massive thanks to Pete because yeah. he, he, we did an interview with him and then he literally rang around Aircon and introduced us to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, that's uh, the sort of thing he does. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was almost like he was setting up an interview schedule for us. He's like, oh, you've got to speak to these guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, thank you. And then before we knew it, we'd interviewed almost every single person at Aircon and it was what we're going to say what we're going to ask and actually it was just let's let's just wing it see what happens and actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the best way to do it yeah yeah and it's kind of it's worked because the interviews give people the insight or you know when we do the little walk arounds the different um conventions that we go to it gives people the insight if they're not able to be there it lets them you know, have that experience. A lot of people do walkthroughs, etc., of events, but we try to give you that in-depth, personal, you know, three to five minutes with, you know, as many uh, tables as, as, many tables can, as yeah, we yeah. can physically fit in. Um, just, you know, if you can't be there, why should you miss out? That's what we try to provide to people when we're at conventions. Yeah, that's exactly what we've, we've been trying to do over the last few mm. years as well. So yeah. I think we've got a very similar outlook in uh, the way yeah. we do things as well, so yeah i think i think we were all about and i I speak for three of us and that's really unfair but um (laughs) about trying to bring as many or trying to introduce a hobby to new people and and grow Mm -hmm. the hobby in the in the uk and it it absolutely amazes me that i don't know how you find it matt that kind of piece where you're like so you go someone goes oh what do you do outside of work and you go I play I play board okay. games. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah. been, I'm not sure. I'm a bit nervous about saying this. And I, why should we be? Why, why is the nerves? Where does that nervousness come from? And it's because you know that the first words out of somebody else's mouth at that point are going to be, oh, Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you kind of down a rabbit hole of actually, how do you explain the the modern board game hobby to people who've only ever experienced Cluedo, Monopoly, Scrabble, yeah. 
Um, and that's, yeah. I think that's really difficult. So I think we all try and what we'd love to build that a broader, bigger community. And I've, it's such a weird place that the UK doesn't have a more mainstream board game community. Mm. It's definitely improving because, I mean, if you look at the uh, amount of people who go to Expo every year, you know, that's, that's yeah. increasing year on year, uh, apart from the obvious uh, yeah. years ago but yeah <laughs> um, I mean I think I'm quite lucky because I work in uh, IT so most of the people I meet even if they're not gamers <laughs> themselves they've mm. at least got some sort of peripheral understanding of gaming D&D minis all that kind of thing but yeah. um but yeah I can imagine outside of that sphere um there's a lot of people who just don't don't get it or don't even know that the world that world exists yeah well you've introduced your mum and dad to it yeah and that's been most one of the most entertaining historical journeys you could ever wish for yes yeah and even my gran um so post christmas she's banging on her door asking for just one as a mother's day present um (laughs) because she had so much fun experiencing that um yeah and she's like uh azul was one of the first games i introduced her to and absolutely loves it so and she's 92 so yeah yeah she's there's definitely a gamer hidden in her there so yeah yeah born at the wrong time yep yep <laughs> my parents I've, are not easy people to teach either um so, no, i've tried mine just didn't happen yeah um it's, it's interesting actually because i think in more recent years well more recent months uh, my mom has become more of a gamer than my dad in some ways Massively. and she's and she's almost like come on let's get a game out on the table even if we're not there now um, oh, I just okay. recently picked up Acropolis for them because I would like my copy back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're heading in the right direction. So Give yeah. them your copy and you'll have the nice shiny new one. Well, yeah, I do, yeah. I do think about that. As but... is as is well, very well used. <laughs> Extremely for, well for a game that's picked up at Expo last year, less, less than 12 months old, it's probably gone through 30 or 40 plays already. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely one that hits at the table quite yeah. a bit, isn't it? I, I'm going through a phase at the moment where every game I'm playing is a new game because, um, mm-hmm. as listeners know, Karen and I are currently moving in together. So um, it's this is the first opportunity we've had really for two or three years to have regular gaming sessions. Mm-hmm. So, And I've got such a massive backlog of Kickstarters and things I've bought at events that need to be yeah. played. So it's like literally everything. It's like, okay, what game do we feel like playing today? Well, we haven't played any of these. Let's just pick one of those, you know. Yeah, yeah. So what have been the what have been the gems for you guys? Well, there's there's quite a few things that we've played recently that I've enjoyed, but I think stand the standout one that we've played in the last couple of months, um, Lands of Galzia. Have you have you come across Lands of Galzia? No. It's by no. the people who do Dale of Merchants, if you know Dale of Merchants, yes. the deck building game. Yeah, yeah. So they have he the guy who creates this game um world has created a it's all anthropomorphic animals basically so there's lots of different races of animal folk and uh so he put out the three dale of merchants games then he did a game a couple of years ago called dawn of peacemakers which was sort of a legacy style game set in that universe and lands of galzir is another one of those style of games but it's a it's a storytelling game so you've got as well as all the physical components there's a there's a web app that you run on a phone or a tablet and it's sort of like a board game mixed with a choose-your-own-adventure thing. That's so you cool. have your character, you give them all different, uh, each one's got different skills. So you play uh, the same one throughout all the adventures if you if you want to. And uh, you get opportunities throughout the story to change the skills that your, your character has got. 
and then you'll come to um you'll move your character somewhere and then you have to pick a card out from the deck um to do something and then the book on your ipad you'll read a scenario and then you've got a choice of two or three things you can do and depending on your skill set some of the options are easier for you to do than others. Mm. So yeah. you roll dice to see if you succeed or fail. And then the world evolves as you as you make all these, these changes. Yeah. And, and the unique thing about the game is it's got this way of saving the game between play sessions by as you change the game world, different cards go in and out of like save oh, yeah. slots that you have inside the game box. Oh, nice. So then That's when you cool. start the next game, you, you get all the things out and you know what state the world is in. And, That's nice. uh, and then... When you're playing the game on your iPad, it says, right, have, if you've got this card, you have to do this. And if you've got this card, mm. you have to do that. And it's really immersive. And, uh, you know, it's not a deep game. Uh, it's mm. not, you know, a <laughs> four or five complexity. It's definitely in the sort of one and a half to two and a half range. But the world yeah. he's created and the storytelling behind it is so engrossing. I just absolutely love it. And we've only had one play session of it so far. And it was about two and a half hours Um Part of that was setting it up for the first time because it's quite yeah. a complex first time setup. But um, but yeah, it was just we just immersed ourselves in that world, and because it was a world I already liked, um, this just sort of further reinforces my uh, high opinion of it. So yeah, I'd strongly recommend it if you've played the Dale of Merchants games and you like the world he's created, then Lands of Galzir is uh, is really good. I just I I I do like like immersive narrative games that give you yeah. a that help you progress your story as well. So I, I think those kind of games, as campaign games especially, mm-hmm. yeah. if there's no narrative, no real, no strong overarching narrative that really drags you f- through the game, I lose interest very quickly, mm-hmm. which, and it might be, like, I, let's give an unpopular opinion. Um, Gloomhaven caused me all kinds of headaches because the, the, the story arc in Gloomhaven is almost non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> Never played it. To be fair, there's other options out there which yeah, are yeah. far, far better yeah. and probably cheaper as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you want, yeah, if you want a story, mm. if you want a game that drives the, the story narrative, then Gloomhaven's not it. And I no. get why people love it, but it it doesn't, it didn't draw us forward into the game, unfortunately. So it was a, like a slight challenge, but yeah, there you go. The the, the one other thing about Lands of Galzira wanted to mention was the quest system so each each of the four characters has their own main quest line um but also as you're traveling around you can pick up side quests as well so it's really like playing a computer game but physically you know so yeah if you like rpgs um you know things like the witcher or fallout yeah dragon age or something like that yeah know. stuff like that yeah yeah and, and like that you know that's one of the things that i think from a board game perspective compared to video games that like that kind of rpg that rpg non-rpg genre as because it's not true rpg on the on a video console it's yeah. not a you're not playing a role you you know it, it become it becomes very much min max game sometimes <laughs> but um board games have not got to that point of delivering that kind of narrative in the same kind of way as something like elder scrolls has, has in the past um, or Skyrim, well, I'll describe Skyrim as game, but that those kind of narratives are they're harder to deploy in a, in a board game, I think. Oh, absolutely. But There's a lot the more. Ones that... um, cause, because in a, in, a, in a computer game, you can gradually introduce elements 
more easily as the player plays the game, I think. Whereas you know, for a board game or an RPG, you sort of have to set the stage right at the beginning, and that yeah. can be probably quite daunting. And computers handle branch decision making better mm. than people do. Yeah, <laughs> much <true>. quicker. <laughs> much quicker. Yeah. So um, it's yeah. I but I'd love to see a game that gave you the feel of like a um, like like something like Elder Scrolls. I know there's an Elder Scrolls game coming. We'll wait and like hot reserve judgment to see what it's like. But um, yeah, I remember when oh, was it Fantasy Flight Games delivered their sort of Fallout game. Uh, I think it was. Uh, which was like a hex game, and they got a card system that you kind of slotted a card in, took a card out, and the idea was brilliant. The implementation was frustrating because you were constantly sifting through a deck of cards to find number card 121 that you'd then put into the deck that you might... And it was like, oh, this is actually... It's a nice idea, but it's 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 fiddly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Lands of Galaxy does have that, but it's mostly in the app. So, so you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of that, so, thankfully. But it will say to you, like, take this card, and it's a piece of equipment that you that you've got. You know, so the, but the mm-hmm. story isn't in the cards; it's on the on the app. You know, so a bit um, Descent, Legends of the Dark as well, which yeah, we've we, we've really enjoyed yeah. Um, yeah. as a as a bigger sort of board. Um, but that's been fun as well over the last twelve months to yeah. play through that and. Um, watch your characters evolve as as you progress through in the app. Oh, I will give Fantasy Flight all credit for producing really good app app implementation into games. I think they've done really well with it in Journeys of Middle Earth and Legends of the Dark. Even like doing the backward compatibility stuff with Imperial Assault has been yeah. all right. So okay. the app integration app integration is either going to work or it's not, and it's not. You know, it's very clear it's not for everyone in board who board games because you know some people look don't like the mechanical aspect of having the app uh, at the table. Yeah, um, I think the first time I remember seeing an app integration was XCOM, um, but that was that's just entertaining as a game anyway. I've not played that for a long yeah. time. What, where do you think the future is going to go in that realm? I mean, I know a lot of people are trying with AR at the moment, and I've, I've not seen a good AR representation uh, implementation in anything. Because, I mean, I feel like getting everyone to sort of hold their phone and point at things is taking something away that you don't necessarily lose by having a tablet on the table because that's just a natural extension of the, the tabletop, you know. But um, augmented reality doesn't... Um, I don't know, I've always been a bit lukewarm on it. So we recently um, played um, Amelia's Secret. Have you played that one? No, I have not heard of it. So no. arguably not a board game, um, mm-hmm. but interesting for its AR implementation. Um, and it's an escape room-esque experience. Yeah. And you, you basically put cards around the house. And if you've got a nice space, you get like the cards in the right place. Um, yeah. And then you run around and you'll scan those locations and you'll see the locations in the augmented reality. And then you'll have puzzles and things to solve. And you're running backwards and forwards and you're trying to get the answers. And and it's, I felt actually that uh, for the price at which you pay, I think we picked ours up for about £20. It's a very good 
game for £20 that yeah. the amount it delivers. Um, but so far, we haven't done the full hour session, no. um, but we've just done it with like friends and family with the 20 minute game. And actually, that's it's quite that 20 minutes gives it that people know they're only going to be doing it for 20 minutes. People know that they're on a time limit and the people that we've done it with are competitive. So they're (laughs) like, right, let me add it. Let me add it. Um, the, the one downside we did have was someone's, battery went halfway through and then when that happens it didn't save everything so you had to start again and and then obviously the 20 minutes for them everybody else needed to wait till they completed their 20 minutes so we could decide you know assign who actually technically won based on the the time it took um it'll be interesting to see what they release next and they can clearly release just dlc type content on it and just download a new scenario to the to, to the app yeah, maybe yeah. even using some of the similar cards that are out there, and it, it's it's QR a, codes. Yeah, it? it's all on QR codes, and it's a really it is really nicely done. Um, and yeah, arguably not a board game, but it I, it blurs the lines a little bit, and it's a good it, it's a good demonstration of augmented reality. It also makes you realise that you never want to do a proper escape room with Kirsty because you'll be basically <laughs> basically redundant. <laughs> That's not fair. Like, I, I, I do escape room. I, I've always enjoyed a good escape room. Um, but like the head scratching bits of the puzzles and Kirsty's just coming up with the answers without it seemingly thinking about what why that's the right answer. But then you ask her oh, and it's right, like, okay. oh yeah, this. It's like, but you've done that in the blink of an eye. It's like, I just don't need to be here anymore. <laughs> I think um, we did a, an exit game, didn't we? Um, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced it. And I was asking questions, and you were like, why, why are you asking that? And it was like, well, and it was like two or three points down the line from where I needed to be, and I was already yeah. three steps ahead, wasn't I? Yeah, it's annoying. And, but I didn't even know I was doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> I, I'm aware. Yeah, I've done escape rooms with people like that, so, so you're not alone. Yeah. Uh, that's all right but that sounds like a good implementation of ar because they are they are using it to generate something that it would be impractical for them to do in the real world whereas you see like kickstarters and things of games that are like oh we've got ar and you just point a game at a board and you're seeing two little minis fight against each other point your phone at the board you know and you're seeing your little characters move around it's like well you could do that with minis you know so that Mm. annoys me but no it sounds like it sounds like what was that game called again amelia's secret Amelia's Secret, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll have to have a look at that. That sounds like yeah. something I might enjoy. I'm sure, I'm sure we could drop it off with you at some point, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, we can thank you. It's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> are you going to Aircon? We are, yes. Yes, we are. Excellent. I'll see you there then. You I'm going for the first time this year. so uh, ah. it's, it's It's got a really nice vibe to it, Aircon. Yeah. It's, um, and it, it's like, it, is it, you know, it, we, we have, what, four, five, four big cons in the UK, really. Um, yeah. Aircon, Aircon being one. I mean, they're they're like their announcements at the moment are opening mm-hmm. more halls on Thursday nights, and they're doing really well Expanded. for themselves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, Games Expo, which like you almost don't need to talk about that these days because it's what it is. It's you know, it's t- you know, twenty thousand people mm-hmm. coming together to really appreciate what we what what the hobby yeah. is all about. Tabletop Scotland, which is a I've never been to that. Fantastic experience. Fantastic. Um, yeah. really friendly people, as you'd expect in Scotland and yeah. other parts of the UK. Yeah. Um, but um, they're really friendly. Well people. rescued. 
Um, yeah, I, well, I, I'm sure I'll get some some shots across the pounds for it. But um, yeah, really friendly people, and I know like an incredible use of space. They don't yeah. they they make sure that everyone's got space to deliver as well, which the, is really yeah, nice. The one thing that really stood out to me with Tabletop Scotland was it was a different vibe with the designers there, with the makers there. There was a lot more like um like a, a Celtic feel to some of the games. Um the some yeah, of the art styles were different. And it was I was actually coming across games that I hadn't heard of ever. And oh, um, although it was expensive, uh, as it always is, to to visit these uh, conventions because I end up supporting everyone and buying everything yeah. from everybody, um, it was a really nice. It was just such a lovely time spent. Actually, the the space between stalls and and we we discussed it with um, uh, Dave the organizer and said about how nicely spaced it was um and obviously you'd really taken into consideration post-covid and the space that people need Mm. he came oh no no we've always been like that we want to make sure that it's accessible for everybody under every circumstance and it was there was no pressure of you know with sometimes you go to conventions and there's just queues everywhere and it just wasn't there with the Tabletop Scotland, it was so much space. There was room to play games. There was room to look around a store without you being, you know, getting in the way of other people looking at the store next door. Mm. Everything had been so well thought out. And it just made it so much more of a relaxing environment because of that. Um, and, yeah, and it was a different vibe of games from yeah, there, I think. Yeah, it was. That's yeah, sorry. Continue no, with your uh, tour of Britain. Well, no, 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 the one we haven't done, we, the one we've not been to, is um, Tabletop Gaming Live in Manchester. No, yeah. No, so we went to that last year. That was an interesting mm-hmm. experience. Well, explain yourself. Yeah, explain it. Because <laughs> well, I, think we need it, so. I don't know what you've if you've heard anything from any of the people who were exhibiting there. It was a it was a very interesting venue. Mm. It was more of a sort of nightclub place that they'd um, sort of used, and parts of it were like really bright like uh, NEC bright um, so oh, it was wow, perfect. Okay. but the other parts of it were like too dark and so oh. there were people who were doing demos and uh, it was really difficult for the people to see the game pieces and that because it was um, because it was, <laughs> That's it was just too dark in there but I mean they, they've held their hands up and said you know we know this was not the ideal venue this is the first time we've done the event on our own because they've had uh, a partner company do it with them uh, for the last couple because um, I think the last one was in London, wasn't it? Before this, it was at yes, uh, possibly it was, yeah. was it the Excel Center or something. Excel, like yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they're going to look at, at the venue, but the 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 mix of um, exhibitors there was good, and mm. we did we did some you know we interviewed some lovely people, um, which people can look on our YouTube channel and <laughs> find all those videos. Plug, plug, Quick, promote, um, promote, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that it was a, I mean, it was a, everyone there was lovely, but the venue wasn't great. That's what mm-hmm. I'll say. But if once they get that sorted out, I think they'll be all right. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. But it's, it's so nice that the, the, the convention scene is, is really vibrant in, in the UK as well. That, that's really nice to see. And there's so many small cons starting up as well. Yes, um, yeah. So that's also just those opportunities to play and to meet other gamers. Um, and the gaming clubs have done a really great job of filling a, a really valuable space. Um, but 
the higher the profile event, the more likely we are to bring more people into the community and yeah. new gamers into the community and help it grow. So it's just fantastic to see. Really, really positive place to be at the moment. Yeah. 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 Onwards and upwards with the growth. Yeah. Mm. Indeed. Right. Let's hear about a game you've you two have been playing them and one that you've really enjoyed recently. <laughs> Who says we play games? This is this is <laughs> <laughs> no, you just make videos about them. You don't actually play any. Yeah. No, no. Um actually, actually unlike some reviewers, we play all our games. Yeah. Um, and we play them a lot of times before reviewing, just so yeah. you're wet. Um, yeah. So uh, when when we first started doing reviews. Oh god. Um, I I said to Phil, I don't want to do a review on a game until I've played it ten times. Oh, but that soon changed, didn't it? Yeah, it, it probably it, it's probably more half that now. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it is much like we we'll, we won't do a review unless we've played it at least three, four times. No, I think that's I think because that's there's perfectly so many valid. different outcomes, there's so many different strategies. There's yeah. you know when you go through that learning curve of going through the um you know the scoring at the end. Sometimes a whole game can click into place from doing the scores of a game, and you go, "Ah, oh, if I'd known that, I would have done this." Or, yeah. you know, it's a complete. It, you often will often play a game, do the scoring, go. Right, oh, let's play again. Let's play again. <laughs> now I understand that. Let's play again. And what we've done more recently in our videos is we always play a game, then start filming midway through a game. So it's right in our head. If we've got any questions, we you know, if there's anything that's really fresh, we make sure it's in our head and in the middle yeah, of we film literally in the middle of playing a game but now. A really good example of that is um and a, and it's answer your actual question, Matt, which is what we've been playing recently. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um we, we we'll do the politicians' answers, but we'll also answer, actually answer <laughs> questions. Um uh, Woodcraft by Delicious Games is what we've had on the table recently, and that's mm-hmm. that's put, probably heading towards review at this stage. But the first play of that, um, I would say, left us both feeling a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Um, I think over the last couple of years, Delicious Games have delivered. You've you've got Underwater Cities followed by um, Praga, then Messina, Messina. and they've been yeah. some of the like they've been absolutely rock solid games. They've really delivered, like fundamentally delivered on if you like sort of mid to heavyweight euros they've done they've you know they've delivered some really great games and woodcraft it kind of just felt like playing mechanics without any soul to the game at the first play at the first play yeah second play and so it was the middle of the night or the afternoon i can't remember we're in the middle of doing something and i I was sat there and i was thinking hmm there's definitely some form of tech tree type. There's some. There's a tree at the top of the board type. Of, it's not a tree. It's, it it's, it's actually a roof where you store a, tools. A roof where you store tools. <laughs> and I said to Phil, I said, I think that you store all the tools in the roof, you'll get everything you need to win the game. Hmm. I'm going to play that strategy next time. And I'm going to get every single tool. I'm not going to concentrate on anything else. And what happened, Phil? You won. Absolutely smashed him. <laughs> yeah, you beat me. Um, uh, and it, but it opened up that possibility that the game had got a lot more depth than that yeah. first play. And it, I think that's a really that's the most important thing. So Woodcraft, for those of people who haven't played Woodcraft and had the opportunity, is a um, you are basically you're, you're crafting items of wood, uh, whether that be a toy train or 
some tools or whatever it might be, a bowl to eat soup out of, and you're like little woodland elves doing this, and you've got some dice, and the dice are timber, yep. and you've got three coloured dice that are all sort of varyingly in, in, like they improve the quality, yep. so you can build better things with the brown dice. But you can also saw the dice in half, not literally, yeah. but you can turn a six and you can chop it in half. Well, you can chop a, a six into a two and a four. And a so you can one, five more. Yeah, you, can, you can manipulate yeah. your lumber to, and when you're building items, it's contract ful- contract fulfillment. Yeah. Um, you've got to be precise. So you, if you want yeah. a four brown, a two green dice, you've got to have, you can't play any other way. You've got to have those dice. So chopping them in half or gluing them together, which is yeah. another thing you can do. Yeah. Um, it, it pr- provides a really interesting dynamic. Um, plus, there's the, the roof area where you're storing tools mm-hmm. in your tool shop, and it, there's points galore across the board. It's yeah. a bit point salady, but actually, the first play just feels like pushing mechanics around. Yeah. Um, like, you know, put tab A into tab B and see what comes out of tab C. Yeah. The second time you play, like, Kersey focused on a strategy. I went with a broad sort of brushstroke approach and try to do a bit of everything Kirsty like smashed it and suddenly we're sat at the table going ah, there's so much more to this game there's a lot more here now and the thing that worries me a lot of the time with like a lot of gamers especially club nights you'll play a game once and you'll dismiss it out of hand and we mm. if we weren't going to review the game we might well have put Woodcraft down because let's face it you know, our shelf of shame is probably similar to yours. It's like <laughs> extensive. Yeah. <laughs> so putting a game to one side to move on to something else is not always a bad thing. But because we, you know, we knew we wanted to review, we sat down, we played it again the following day, and suddenly opened up this whole plethora of opportunity. And you end up with a game where you've got multiple strategies with tactical depth within it that will allow you different routes to victory and. To me, that's a that's like the critical thing in a game. I hate yeah. a game when you can focus in on it and actually end up ultimately having there's one route to victory and it's whoever hits that route hardest. A bit. So for anyone um, who's seen our Merv video, will know that I will always go on mm. the mosque track and I will generally win because of that. And you dislike the game because of that. Yeah. Um. And <clears throat> my next. Uh, move is to assess whether there is anything as powerful as the tools in the roof with woodcraft to see if it has got the all bearing power that the moss track has in Merv or whether there are other routes to victory as well where I can still beat Phil um, which obviously is important because Absolutely. Phil, but do you know, the, Phil has a massive advantage over me um, I'm and- taller he, a, he's taller. <laughs> B, he's stronger. No. Um, C, uh, he always reads the rules. So he reads the rules because I don't have to. That's basically it as it is. Oh, I see. And so he will teach the game. So he'll have a better understanding of the game overall. So technically, Phil should win every game the first time because he knows every opportunity. Let's, let's... However, however, when <laughs> Phil teaches a game, the first thing he'll teach, and this is if Phil teaches anything, anybody teaches me a game, I'll clock into the first strategy you tell me, and I'll focus hard on that, and I will win. But that's, that, that is how I learn. And then next time, I'll try another strategy, because the way my mind works, I'll struggle to do multiple things at once when I'm learning a game. So I will focus on one thing, and the next time I'll focus on another. Next one I'll focus on another, and then the maybe the fourth or fifth play, 
I'll mix it up and do a bit of a, a combination of things. And that's just how I how I learn games. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I'm quite proud sometimes when I do beat him on the first play <laughs> because really if you know every possible rule and every possible strategy, then technically maybe you should be winning. No. But at the same time, when he's teaching, he's also having to teach at the same time so I don't have that burden. He's having to answer every question that I ask every five minutes. So. Yeah. But unfortunately, think... what you've done is you've just told everyone how to manipulate you into losing a game. Yeah, yep. exactly. They just have to teach you the worst possible strategy <laughs> yep. first thing. First, yeah, <laughs> yep, very much. I will, I will put my hands up and say, like, the teacher's burden, and for anyone, who's, mm. anyone who teaches games, which is probably most people, like, even Kirsty's taught a number of games, yep. like, the teacher's burden is almost the hardest on the first time you play a game with a group of people. Because you never, yeah. you're not just playing your own game. No. You're playing if you if it's a four player game, you're playing four Everybody, players yeah. games, and it's so hard. Like, and you you don't want to win when you're teaching either. You want you want everyone to have a nice experience of the game, and so teaching, I think, is is actually the one time when you you're not playing to win because you're playing too many hands around the table. The next time you play, that, <laughs> that's the one yeah. you want to win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have, have either of you ever been in the situation where, and this has happened to me once a few years ago, where I was explaining the rules of a game to a bunch of people I've never met or never played with before, and one of them said, I don't like the way you're teaching this. I'm going to read the rules and teach myself. <laughs> so I, I, have you met David Ovenden? I have met David. Yeah, it wasn't him. It wasn't someone in your immediate no. uh, gaming circle. So, so. and I'll, I'll I'll name and shame. <laughs> Not sure you should do that, but okay. <laughs> well, David David never says that. But whenever you're teaching the rules, he wants to have the rule book in his hand, oh, um, right, so okay. he can through the rule book as you're teaching, and he, he's he's um he, he's very much he wants to know the rules inside out himself, and I don't mind that. I've never been. I've never been told off for teaching a game badly, even when I know at times I probably have taught games badly. You don't always yeah. get it right. And some games are just just so difficult to mm. teach. <laughs> like Some yeah. of them are just hard work. Um, I think my one bad experience of teaching was post a con, I lose my voice very easily. Oh. Uh, so I'd lost my voice. I was struggling anyway. Um, and... We got some newbies, and Phil said, "Don't worry, they can go on your table. You can teach them some nice, easy games." It's my first teaching at the group at the time, and so I was going around explaining like Janet and John language, the basics. At the end of the game, I can't remember which one it was. It was, um, I don't know. It was. It's quite a simple game, like a Zool or something like very yeah, yeah. simplistic to pick up to begin with and then so I was like so have you had any experience with any other games and they came out with about six really really heavy thinky deep games and I was like well I've just wasted my time stretching that over two hours <laughs> to try and be gentle with you yeah and so yeah I'm always the first thing I'll always ask now when I meet someone is so what games have you played <laughs> you know, learn learn someone's level before you teach them um and the biggest thing which i will not focus on a rule unless i know the story of the game which sounds okay. silly but i want to know why i'm interacting with this game what what am i who am i and why am i to me if i know that i'll absorb every rule knowing how i'm supposed to absorb that rule if that makes sense 
Yeah. Um, Does that mean you you struggle more with ab- abstract games then that don't have a, a strong uh, theme? Or... <laughs> uh, Even, maybe. Uh, like Splendor, I would describe as pretty abstract, but you cope oh, with that true. pretty well. Yeah. But you yeah. you focus in on like, oh, this this is like mining the jewels. This is like moving yeah. the jewels, and this is like processing the jewels. Yes. Like you focus in on that, and I'm like, okay, it's just a card with a diamond on it. Like it's fine. It's not just a card. <laughs> <laughs> it's never just a card, Phil. But I do. I, I, and anyone who's watched our channel or, or watched any of the stuff we do will will know that there's definitely, I think, an, a massive advantage when the theme reinforces the rules and vice oh, versa. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, but it's not common either. That's not a common thing in board games. And sometimes no. it's, I don't know if any, I, like one of my, like Heaven and Ale is mechanically a sound game. It's just nonsensical comparing the rules to what you're actually doing in the game to the theme of the game. And I don't, if you, I like, I don't, I know, I don't think Kirsty's played it. I don't know if you've played Heaven and Ale, Matt. No. Um, but you're, you're, you're sort of like um, German monks making beer and harvesting wheat from a field. And the field's got like a dark side in the field and a light side in the field. And if you plant wheat, if you plant things in the dark side, they'll generate money. But if you plant them on the right side, in, on the light side, they'll generate goods. And it's like, how is that? that makes no sense. <laughs> Where? No. Where? And it's, it's, it's complicated, it's fiddly, and thematically does nothing to help you and he's just like i've described it as a lazy design in the past because i feel like it's it's like a yeah the the worst example of sort of pasted on theme it's just there's no value to the theme Mm. it doesn't help at all you can always tell when someone had the theme first and then came up with the game versus having a game and trying to shoehorn a theme into it yeah yeah i i think actually thinking of the games that do theme really well tend to be the ones that are based on maybe historical events. Hmm. So, for example, um, we've got uh, Spielworks with Squaring Circleville, um, London Acropolis Railway. Uh, You've got Ostia, um, which is based on really old history. Um, Those games are based on true events they're based on thematic events or happenings in history but the gameplay of all those three work fantastically ostia is a game that i don't think i can but sorry i'll caveat because i think it's important for those who like mid to heavyweight euros um ostia is a game you have to try and you have to find a copy of and play um, it's Ostia, the Port of Rome, I think, is the full title, and it was a Kickstarter last year, and got it got into our hands. I think December time. It was really late in the year. Yeah. It got to us. Postal um, delays, and it's it's about um, extending trade routes across yeah. the Mediterranean. You may have heard this theme before. It happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've never known of any games or anything That's to do with trade, trade routes. <laughs> you do surprise me, um, yeah. uh, but. Um, like so, but it's also managing the port and the harbour, um, and the harbour itself is is a mancala. And you're unloading ships. After you've unloaded ships, you're moving them around the port to pick up all the goods. Um, 
And so in principle, what you're doing is the if you've got five ships in the in the wood resource area, you're getting five wood resources, and then you're redistributing the ships. Um, you're dropping five ships off Mancala style, one at a time around the hexagon. And around the rondel. Around the rondel, because it's an action rondel. And then the last ship you drop off, you take the action of the space you drop the last ship off in. So you're gaining resources at first, based on how many ships are in that location, then you're moving the ships around and redistributing them and taking the action of where you drop the last ship. Mm. Wow. Is it a puzzle that is well worth solving? Yeah. It's, it's... Yeah. If you play, if people play Five Tribes, which I think is probably the most like the, the most popular game with that kind of Mancala-style mechanism. Yeah. Um, Imagine that on a rondel, <laughs> which is your actions at the same time. Okay. It's, and yeah. you're, and obviously with it being uh, that Mancala style, the, your own board state is constantly changing. Hmm. But you're in control of your port. You're not interacting across a shared port, so you shouldn't be able to get it wrong. But you get it wrong so many times <laughs> because the game state constantly changes and leaves you with really tough decision makings and. You're often you're often picking between the the least worst suboptimal move, right? Which I really really like in that game. It mm. it, it really makes the game a really a genuinely great game in my mind. And we played it a lot recently, yeah. And we've introduced it to a number of people recently because we're just like we're genuinely excited to introduce it to people. And it's not failed us yet for the people who like that style of game. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And. Uh... Definitely one that we'd recommend to people. Okay. Um, any others? What played recently? Hmm. I know what Matt and I were sort of bouncing messages backwards and forwards earlier on today. What's that? The dualification the, the of games. Um, I'm yes. going to... Yeah, we were talking about that on, on Facebook because um, I mentioned, and funnily enough, this was I have this game page up ready to talk about it. So this seems like a perfect opportunity to mention Takedo Duo, the, uh, the two-player oh. version of Takedo the game where you are traveling Japan to uh, get the best mm. holiday, I suppose, is the, um, <laughs> the, the, the theme. To see the most beautiful sights yeah. on that lovely island. But the, the two-player version is quite a bit different mechanically from normal Takedo, but thematically it's very similar. But basically each player has, one of, uh, has three characters. You have a pilgrim, a merchant, and an artist. And on the game board, um, there are... Um, lots of locations, but uh, each of the characters moves between them in a different way. So the pilgrim visits the uh, all the, the locations around the outside of the game board. The merchant can travel between certain ones and ones that are in the middle that the pilgrim can't reach. And the artist moves to the spaces between all of the locations. So Ooh. there are zones that have different uh, scenery that they can paint, paint pictures of. And each one has got their own way of scoring. Um, so you've got these three different ways you can get points. And basically when one of the two players has completed one of the um, car, uh, one of the boards for the one of their characters, then both players count up the points that they've got across all of their characters and the person with the most points wins. So it was a very, very chill game. So if you're looking for a game that's not too intense, just to wind down after a hard day, I'd, I'd recommend it because it doesn't have many hard choices. Sometimes when you roll a die and your character can move two spaces, 
there's going to be a place two away that is the best place for you to go with that yeah. question. So you you know you'd, you'd be stupid not to do that. But so there's a little bit of that of that. But um, we really enjoyed it. We had, we played it on on Valentine's Eve because it was my uh, present for Karen for Valentine's Day. Because obviously nice. I've got a game nice. board game. What else would you? What else would you get someone? <laughs> um, so we played that, and it was um, yeah, it was really chill, um, really really enjoyable. Um, and didn't need a lot of thinking, which is just what we wanted <laughs> yeah. after after that, you know. So, on I'd, probably I'd on the slight flip side of the scale, um, so we played Splendor Duel recently, yeah. yeah. Um, which for everyone who played Splendor, it, it fundamentally doesn't change the game, but fundamentally completely changes, changes the game. The game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's um, so in the in in the original Splendor, you're picking up poker chips, which yeah. are um, jewels, and buying cards with them. And eventually the cards combine to um, make it easier to buy more expensive cards, etc., etc. People are hopefully familiar with the concept of Splendor. Splendor Jewel changes it slightly and puts all the poker chips on a central board. Yeah. <clears throat> and you will pick up to three in a connected row. And there are some like rules around what you can and can't take and how you can and can't take them. Um, so you'll pick up to three uh, chips in a row and take them off the board, but you've got to be able to take a continuous three. So as people are taking, as one of you is taking off the board, you're blocking other people's rows. So someone might then only be able to take one chip, yeah. um, which might be the one they want. Um, there's a couple of like bonus powers as well. Yeah. So if you do something particularly great on your turn, so there are pearls, uh, which are like pink chips. If you take, I think it's two pink chips in a turn, the other, the other player gets a scroll, and that scroll can be spent to either randomly take a chip from anywhere on the board at any time during their turn. Um, you can refill the board. Yep. Um, and you can also, there's a third power as well, which escapes me. And me, so. Uh, yeah, there's a third power as well, which you can do uh, yeah. with it as well. And that board... Um, just really starts to change up the the process of playing Splendor, and I'd say overall it's for two players especially it's a much better game. It plays yeah. more balanced, more fairly, it's gives both players game. a chance. It's a quicker game. Yeah, um, it's not so much of a table hog. It's a very good sized box. You know, everything's just slightly smaller, but it's more self contained. The cards are smaller. It's all about it's, half size. The poker chips are half size. Yeah, yeah. And they put it in a really nice tiny box. Yeah. Um And it it seems, I don't know, I don't know what you think, Matt. Is it like whether it, whether it feels a bit cash in, like people cashing in on on good titles by making them two player variants of the game? Mm-hmm. So the year last year we also got Sobek Duel as well. Yeah. Uh, which is a two player version of Sobek. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Where you're where you're buying um, from a market and you're taking cards out of a tableau and and collect, and set collecting, um, really nice two player game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it seems now that games have done well are now getting two player like strong two player variants, and either yeah. it's an outcome of COVID. Yeah. True. Or or it's a cash in. Or it's a recognition that a lot of people play f- fundamentally at two-player counts a lot of the time. Hmm. I'm not sure where it's probably a bit of both, all of that influencing things, but yeah, because I think I think some games two-player 
when it's a specialist there's there's often variants from larger games that will have a variant when it's a two-player game or especially if it's a heavier one there'll be you know or a ghost character of which you're rolling in a dice for or you're just randomly placing something you know and it's much better i think to have that strong two-player version than to have an element of which you can't control of which were, uh, what was the game we played? Um, Furnace. Furnace. <laughs> and there's a third ghost player in there and you roll a dice and it's wherever it lands. And now there's so much randomness in that. Yeah. Whereas at least when it's, you know, when it's a two-player speciality, the effort has gone into the design to make sure it's fairly balanced. Whereas I think a third player being rolled randomly or, you know, the the flip of a card, those cards have got to be pretty damn, you know, balanced for it to not yeah. massively affect and screw over everybody else's game. When you've got a third player, you can see what they're doing as part of the, the, the game generally in these kinds yeah. of games, uh, in things like Coffee Traders. You can get a vibe for what people are doing. A roll of a dice... You can't read a dice until it's rolled. Doesn't no, matter how completely hard it throws out your ability to strategize. You can't do anything. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I think actually sometimes it is important to have a two-player variant. Actually, having we obviously we learn every game we play two-player um, because we have to learn so many games with yeah. the channel. Uh, when we came back from Essen, we were at opposite ends of the gaming table, learning a game each, and then teaching. And playing that game twice, three times, four times, right, fifth game, film. And then next, you know, move the next yeah. one. It was almost like a convey about when we got back. Was. It was too much, actually. Um, but it that's how we learn. And, yeah. I was just thinking about um, what Matt was just saying about, like, a nice zen, relaxing game. Yeah. And what, what, what have we played recently that fits into that sort of category? Oh, are you putting me under pressure now to yeah. try and remember something I've played? Um, do you want to give me a clue? I was thinking Evergreen, actually. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we played Evergreen, um, which we picked up from Essen, actually. Um, Horrible Guild. Um, yeah, it was, on, it was on my list to pick up. And it's a lovely little tactile game where you're putting pieces into a board very photosynthesis-esque if you if it, for those that haven't played whereby you're planting seeds they're growing into little trees and growing into large trees you're you score points uh, each season for the number of green connected areas whether that be bushes small trees or large trees and at the end of the game you are scoring for your largest collection of lot now you're Largest area, no, the number of Big trees large in trees in each area times the number of fertility, fertility For, cards yeah. that are out. It's a, it's yeah, a really, but yeah. yeah, it's a really, it's a really lovely game, and you, you kind of just, you kind of play the cards you're given, um, and you take it from there, and it's, it just works really well. Yeah, it is. So I can. You definitely, and it's it feels like it feels very calming because the boards are pure white almost, yeah. and it's it it just feels very very tranquil and zen. And you, I guess you can play it on multiple levels, but it definitely plays well as that kind of like let's just get on and play a game. Like the rules are very straightforward, yeah. And you you can be 
you know, the way the box is laid out, you can be playing a oh. game in, in seconds. Yeah, so the, it's nice. the box, like any, anyone who's uh, watched our channel knows that box inserts to me are very important. Oh, and I'm right the, there with you. Yeah, a good old it, ga- a good game trace insert makes yeah, a game box isn't it? exactly make or break a game can the box yeah. insert um and that game is fantastic you can literally take the box out give each person a board shuffle some cards and you play shuffle the cards and all the pieces that are need are in the the box as a tray itself in the different compartments sectionalized it's perfect it's really good but um yeah yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a nice relaxing one to okay. uh, play. I'm, I'm going to stay on the nature theme and talk about my next game then, uh, yes. which is uh, another Kickstarter, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Verdant. Uh, ah. I've come across Verdant. Okay. So this would be the um, Randy it. Flynn. Um, Calico. Um, that's and, it. Um, it's Calico and Fallout Games. What's the one they did? Um, uh, Cascadia. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So Calico, Cascadia, and now Verdant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking after house plants. Yeah. That's it. So you're you're drafting cards and you're building your um, I want to say garden, but mm-hmm. your greenhouse, I guess, uh, in mm-hmm. front of you, and you're laying them out in a in a grid, um, but every alternating card is either a plant or a room and the rooms have got different uh, lighting conditions around the outside and as you're placing plants you want to try and place or and the rooms you want to try and place them into a position where the plant is next to a room that gives it the type of sunlight it needs and so there's a bit of like puzzling it i mean if you've played calico that seems to be their sort of i've not played the cascadia but calico is obviously very spatial puzzle um, yeah. type thing and this is very similar to that um but again it's nice and peaceful and we've only played it once so far but it's definitely a game that's going to come back to the table because uh, i think there's there's lots of different ways you can you can play it i can't i'm terrible at explaining games when i've only played them once which is why i don't do reviews like you do because (laughs) if i had to review if i did proper reviews on youtube i'd never you know i'd never get to the point of being able to articulate um, my thoughts about a game properly that's why most of my videos are just here's this new game i've got let's see what's inside yeah. the box yay this is amazing <laughs> I think, um, I, but yeah if you liked calico then then this is this will be right up your if you're straight yeah yeah you really enjoyed cascadia didn't you yeah so, yeah we, uh, i've got cascadia i really enjoyed cascadia um played calico at um a couple of board game cafes um yeah. find them quite relaxing to play um yeah, we didn't pick up Verdant because I wanted to. I didn't want it to be another similar type game. I was going to see yeah. what people thought of it first because I'm sure that I could pick up a copy as and when it comes to. Main, it's the thing is with the flat out games that you know they're going to come to the shops at some point, and yeah. if I, I didn't mind waiting for that. Whereas sometimes with the Kickstarters, I like to support the ones that maybe it's going to be this print run only. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So because of spending habits i have to be careful not to back everything unfortunately well, plus, plus with the increase in shipping costs over the last couple yeah. of years i mean there's been like all the tiny epics we haven't backed any of those for like the last couple of years no. because we know they're going to come retail and the shipping yeah. cost is just it's just ridiculous yeah i think the yeah. last time i backed a tiny epic game i was like i i, I backed it it was like well, i don't know 18 dollars or something tiny and then the shipping was 26 dollars. i was like yeah uh, mad. yeah this mm. isn't this isn't great anymore 
Um, and that, and you know, we want people to save their money so they can back our Kickstarter this year that will be launching hopefully. So, Ooh, so that's exciting there. times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 see. Hopefully, um, we'll um, be be launching a game this year, which um, will be oh, yeah. interesting. So that'll be. And hopefully, with that, we'll let you know how the how easy it is to get through a Kickstarter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I definitely want to speak to you about that once you've done it. Um, well, absolutely, we'll get you back I, on for I, that. I just, I just, I'll just give you a little uh, uh, a hint of a. Here's a. Sorry, Matt, I'm, I'm a hijacking because we're talking about nature games, and it's like actually, I, no, no, no. I'll, do... I'll finish talking about this now. It's fine. <laughs> well, what, we'll, what we'll do is we'll produce a nature game as well. So I have. A, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, interesting. Look, there's a card back. There's a there's a card front. Oh, interesting. I don't know if I should be telling people what 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 I'm looking at. You can if you want. I don't want. know. Yeah. I don't know if I, I, it otherwise, it's terrible. It's terrible it's podcasting. Terrible. Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So I hope like so that was the one. Some little house. So sparrow. yeah. So a bird, a bird, a bird house on the side of a tree, and a house sparrow. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few more pieces. There's a there's a little aggressive robin here, and um, well, one of my favourites. This is like the, the blue tip. So, yeah. so yeah, so we, we're getting to a really nice place as well. Uh, we won't make this the plug. We'll we'll come back and, and plug the game. Yeah, as yeah. you're more than welcome but, to. Um, but that, yeah, we've we've hooked on the nature theme. But to be fair, it was two years ago when we started designing the game. So it's yeah, it was one of those that started. So yeah, we're we're hopefully getting ready. And um, this goes back to 2019. Yeah, something like that. And we'll keep a we'll keep some kind of weird Kickstarter diary as well because we're we're all set up for it as well. So we'll we'll probably share with the world how torturous the entire event is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as, has uh, has Pete been giving you any advice on that uh, on that front? Have you asked him for any uh, help? Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, pitfalls? and Pete's been. Uh, for those who know Pete, he's always useful and always always happy to share information as well, which is which is great. Um, and we're just sort of at the moment looking for manufact looking at manufacturers and options and hmm. shipping is the is probably the scariest cost in board games at the moment. I yeah. would say. Um, out of all of the costs, yeah, um, we've we've talked it through, and we're going to heavily subsidise the shipping because anyone who backs us is going to be bringing our dream alive to make this game a realism. So the least we can do is support you with the shipping. Um, you know, it it is staggering how expensive it's yeah. become, though. It's from from everything from the the creation from you know, the shipping, just just all, all sorts of little things that you just don't even consider. Um, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate to work with a fantastic artist and the artwork and the game has evolved as we've worked together. Um, we'll, we'll keep that quiet for now until um, <laughs> we get the go-ahead that we can tell you who she is. Um, okay. But she's... It's, just li- just little things like um, well if you have you thought about laying it this way instead of this and yeah. good graphic know, design graphic design really yeah. yeah iconography it it's such like so this game when it first began had no iconography because as gamers we know how to play this game okay but people not everyone's a gamer we want this game to come across what's the best way of us learning and generally i pick up a game from its iconography how can we build iconography into the game? Okay, we want to build it, work with the artist. How can we represent all these different options as icons, work together, and 
yeah, we're we're very very lucky that we've got such a fantastic, awesome. talented person that we're working with. So watch this space. I think yeah. is is a message. Very much okay. so. I think it, um, so. We did, um, and I think it like we we did. We went to Pax Unplugged this year. Oh yeah, last yeah, year. Last no, year, last year. That's yeah, yeah. Um, so I can hardly recommend Philadelphia. Lovely, yes. lovely city. Reading Terminal Market, great for food. Yes. Um, but America's not cheap at the moment. Like no. it's really not cheap at the moment. Um, and what really surprised me was the volume of titles that just are not coming to this country. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's, it almost felt like there was, yes, there's an international market for board games, but there's also very regionalized markets because people are, are finding it really challenging to ship games more broadly, even on well-funded Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. And we spoke to people in Essen where titles almost certainly might not be coming to the UK. They'll be produced in English as yeah. a either a first or a second language, but they probably won't come to the UK. But and so we're entering, I think, a really tricky period with board mm-hmm. games where there'll be some great titles released, and we we might have to go and get them or spend a lot to ship them into the country if we yeah. want to see them. And that's probably my biggest concern sort of yeah. post-Brexit, post-COVID, post-everything, is what what are we going to miss out on as a community? Because actually publishers aren't necessarily willing to just take bite the bite the bullet and ship yeah. a thousand copies of a game to the UK. Yeah. It's it's as if there's space in the market for a company in this country that does what a lot of uh, like you know, for example, if you if you're a big company you've got a game, you'll have like um distribution agreements with other companies across Europe to translate yeah. it and distribute yeah. it in those countries. And it's almost as if we're getting to the stage where we need to do that in this this country, have have a company who can go to these ones that are only available in the States or, or wherever and say, look, we want to do the UK distribution for it. I've, I've got to say, um, hats off to um, Flavian and Richie at um, yeah. Hashay Board Games UK because landing Oint Games and getting Oint Games into the country yeah. in a reliable a reliable source is yeah. just a genuinely incredible feat because people have been waiting for a, a good UK distribution for Oint Games for a while now. Yeah, um, and they that I, mean, I I would also you know genuinely say about you know uh, Hashay Games they are curating some absolutely incredible games into the country. Yeah, um, Acropolis last year was. Oh, it was my favorite game of the year, uh, and and hit my number one slot in my top ten of twenty twenty two, because we played it with so many people, so many times. It's mm. it does nothing new. Um, it's tile laying. You're building a city. They're little hexagonal shaped tiles. You, you score points based on how your districts are built, but you can also build them up, which gives you a multiplier if you stack the tiles high. Really nice game. But it, what it does do is it does it superbly well. And when that game that game landed with, I think, was it 100 copies at Expo? Um, yeah. Because it's all they could get into the country in time for Expo. Because everything going on with Brexit, <clears throat> they could, yeah, yeah. a lot of people struggled to get things through, didn't they? And it was just so nice. And that game has done superbly well since it's been distributed. Now, yeah. I would say to, to the guys at Hashtag Games, carry on curating the great games that, you know, they're not bringing everything in that they have the opportunity to do, but they are bringing some really good titles into the UK. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on them. Yeah, there def- is definitely like a um, watch this space because 
yeah it's it's just fantastic what like what when we first met flavian um in 20 it was my first ever expo uh 2021 covid spo covid yeah yeah, yeah it's my first is my first one and i think flavian had set the business up three weeks before that stunt was wow, in place okay. and it was so close to the bone of whether he yeah. was actually going to be able yeah. to do it he didn't have any games to sell he was just demoing and it was to watch that growth from you know that first three weeks all the way to now and they're going from strength to strength yeah like there needs to be more distributors that do what Hache are doing like as we said bring in games from afar like he's bringing them across from Europe it'd be fantastic to have someone as we said bringing them across from America as you know the number of games that we were like why have we not heard about this how do we not know about this game I need to take this home because we cannot get this at home but it's also I'm 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 conscious that we're probably running long for your recording Matt I don't know I don't know know Um, like I'm (laughs) But there's a there's a real conscious piece for me where the country of origin for a game can really affect how the design philosophy behind the game. Yeah. So we've been a massive exponent, and like we we've sung the praise of Taiwanese board game design to anyone who will oh, listen yeah. to us. Yeah. Because they've they've got some great titles, but they're really hard to get. Like if you can't pick them up at a convention, you're probably not you you're not probably not getting them in the UK. No. Yeah. Not unless you buy them direct from Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. which Kirsty does because yeah. she loves them. <laughs> um, but they, they, some of their titles are just so good. But the, there's definitely an Eastern design philosophy about them, and they often contain a strong spatial puzzle that drives the rest of the game. Yeah. And we don't see that. It's not like a, it's not a, a standard Western design that you've got a spatial puzzle that you have to figure out before you can then use the output of that spatial puzzle to drive the rest of the I think that's board. why we like Ostia, because it has that sort of vibe. Which is from um, a Which Japanese manufacturer, yep. uh, designer. Yeah. Um, yeah. America, there's there's definitely, they are, they've taken on board Eurogames, there's some great Eurogames coming out of America, but there's definitely an element of more casual play yes. coming out of the American market. Yeah than there is out of the European German sort of English market. And it's so nice to see that design philosophy is different around the world in different countries. And it gives you a very different feel of game. And it'd be nice to just for more people to gain that exposure. And we're in a privileged position that we go chasing games that we think are going to be unusual or different or feel different. Yeah. But not everyone gets that opportunity, but it's a good distributor that can go and grab these games and bring them into the country more often, and then promote the hell out of them as well. Yeah. And I feel like we don't talk about distributors very often. We talk about we talk about publishers, and we talk about designers. And artists. And artists. And... But actually, the distributors almost matter more, because without them, you're not getting the copies of the games. And Asmodee, I feel like a, a massive intimidation to a lot of people who might want to try and distribute games, Yeah. because they hold on to so much of the standard uk market yeah um so yeah there's a slight overdominance there (laughs) i think unfortunately and although hache is like hache is like a massive organization hache board games uk is actually tiny and and bringing some good deals in but and you know more uh, independent distributors who are distributing multiple publishers games into the uk would be great to see i think Mm. that'd be really helpful yeah 
very much you so. um you meant you mentioned Taiwan board game design and that's actually they've one of the games I um uh, wanted to talk about again was uh, one that I picked up from their uh, stand at the expo last year. So it's amazing how ah. this conversation since is all yeah. is perfectly flowing from one thing to another. Did either of you play that uh, Touch It that they had at the expo last year? Uh, we own all three of the Touch It's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. It's yeah. so much fun, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is very much, and it's it's. It's different from anything that's out there, but yet yeah. so simple, so accessible. And I, I like the fact that there's three different themes of the game. Yeah. Um, so there's the one that's suitable for younger players to introduce them to the game. Then yeah. there's the Chinese one. And then there's the... the night one as well. I... Yeah. It, it's... It's yeah, it's like an introduction for families. And then as the family grows, you can then explore onto the you know the other theme yeah for those of you who haven't yeah. played touch it touch it is a card game loosely um mm-hmm. and the cards are embossed so you've got a raised profile on one side and on the other side you've got four images you're not allowed to look at the embossed side and you're basically exactly. touching the embossed side that you haven't seen which will match one of the four images on the top of the card and all you've got to do is say which one of those images it is you say that like it's easy. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Have you not? Yeah. That the kids one is much easier <laughs> because they're they're at least like as a square, a circle, a triangle, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the more geometric shapes. Yeah. Whereas the other ones, it's like, hmm, it's definitely round, so it could be any four of these images, yeah. <laughs> and then you have yeah. to find out the lo- the different detail. It's actually, uh, I think, the children's one. The uh, embossing slightly deeper as well to get you used to the. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Not That's sure, interesting. but uh, I'm not sure. But I think it's it either that or that the images differ so much that you can sort of feel. Um, but I, I really like the way the Taiwanese board games designs are accessible from all ages by using yeah. their their different um styles though there, there's one that you mentioned recently um which uh vegetable stock i don't know if you played that one oh i've not played that if that's a food-based game then it's definitely going on my list yes. so yes. if you've seen the, if you've seen point salad you've seen the artwork i'm <laughs> yeah. not accusing them of stealing artwork but right. it's very similar artwork oh i see what you mean yeah yeah and it's so you've got five vegetables and you've got a vegetable market every time. A, so basically, everyone gets to choose a card from an open market, and there'll be one card left over, and that card dictates the raising of stock of one of the vegetables. However, once the stock raises past five, it resets back down to zero because there's, the market's been flooded too much and the value drops. And so you're collecting a hand of cards, but that value of the hand of cards is going to be dependent on the cards other people are leaving behind. Um, and the game plays in maybe fifteen minutes maximum. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a, we we played it on camera at Essen, and it, it's mm. just funny. It, it's... Yeah, if you want to experience what it's actually like to play, Phil filmed his playing his hands. So as long as you don't oh, mind right, having okay. yeah. hands, you can actually play the game along with Phil. <laughs> um, Watch every mistake I ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually, um, the we played it with the designer and he explained that it was a re-implementation of a game that was taught in schools to help children learn how the stock market works. Ah, okay. And so that's the origins of that game. Yeah. And it's fascinating. 
Yeah, it's fascinating to see where these games come from and how much they're based on simple learning skills. And then they advance them and then do more with them, do more with them yeah. and then add their little puzzles in. And yeah. I can highly recommend Vegetable Stock and Touch It for anyone who's not played it because yes. they're all they're perfectly accessible games. They play in, well, I mean, Touch It you can play for as long as you want almost. Yeah. Yes. Um, Vegetable Stock plays in about 15 minutes and you're done and you've had a fun time. Both games leave you smiling at the end of them and that. Yeah. That's that's a sometimes I think that's that's the missing spice in a lot in a lot of games we play. Mm. A lot of us will play heavier thinking games because we enjoy the mental challenge. Mm. But you 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 you're more exhausted at the end of those games than you are smiling and have uh, you know and being able to get games that are either like the zen inducing type games or the games that just make you smile. Yeah. Go out and find them. Don't be. Don't be a game snob. Don't just say, no. I, I'm a heavy Euro gamer. I'm not playing a stupid game about touching a card and trying to figure out what image it is. Yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> How about you just play it and enjoy yeah, it? Get over yourself, mate. You know. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes life is too short yeah. to box yourself in in one style of game or, you know, to box yourself in as one type of player. Um, one person once said to me at Expo, thank you for not being an airy fairy girly player and playing heavier games because women do play heavier games. And like, I didn't think anything of it, but it was a, a, a thing where apparently women in the industry don't always play heavier games or aren't portrayed or aren't portrayed to play heavier games. Yeah. I don't see the games that I'm playing as heavy. I see the game that I'm playing as enjoyable or not enjoyable. And it might end up being a really heavy game or like, I love Imperial Steam. I think Imperial Steam is brilliant. I love Coffee Traders. I love Edge of Darkness. I, you know, there's a whole different combination of games that I enjoy. And people go, oh, it's a bit heavy or something. I'd be like, mm. is it? But for me, it isn't. Whereas you put Paladins in front of me and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so that, Just, so for yeah. those who aren't, aren't aware, Paladins of the West Kingdom is in my opinion, the best of the West Kingdom games, um, but Kirsty hates it with a passion. It's not that I hate it. For some <laughs> reason, my brain doesn't compute that, and I struggle every time to play it. But, 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 and I'm, I'm, I will put this out there. Yep. She will play Hadrian's Wall, yep. which is the like the, the it's Paladins it's, on speed. It's Paladins roll and write basically. Yeah. And you right. play that and love it, but the, for some reason, Paladins of the West Kingdom, you cannot get your head around. And it's no, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I've got some form of mental blockage. <laughs> I don't know. It just that game comes along, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, I don't see a heavy game as a heavy game. It's a game that I experience. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But also, I mean, everyone's got a different level of what they consider yeah. to be heavy. Uh, anyway, because obviously, yeah, some people find certain things easier than other others yeah there's, there's definitely something to be said for when you first get into the hobby you should go out of your way to try games that you think you may not like because you may like them or yeah uh, or you may be right and you don't but you won't know until you try and you know when i first start, started getting into the hobby around 2015 the amount of games i bought because I, it was just like i don't have a game that's like that yet so i'm going to buy and try yeah. it mm-hmm. and okay some of those games are no longer in my collection but a lot of them are because you just don't know until you try Yes. It's, it was, um, so I I came 
into back into sort of gaming from being very young and playing uh, Warhammer and all sorts of bits and bobs mm-hmm. and D and D, and came back in twenty fourteen ish, probably with Pandemic and playing that as a co op game. And yeah. I was reading reviews and trying to find out what the next game I was going to buy was and like what am I going to buy? Like I like this as a co op. I want a competitive game next. I knew that and I and every, every sort of like the top of every list um, at the time was Agricola. Oh yeah. And I just put off buying that game for probably six months because the idea of playing a game about subsistence farmers in medieval Europe, I just I just couldn't imagine it being interesting or fun. Um, and then I bought it and played it. I was like, yeah, this is a great game. Really who, was it game. A, who was it in your group who was like obsessed with it, who thought it was a really, really great game? Was it and, Andy something? Was Andy, it? Ha- Andy Hammond still yeah. thinks oh, it is yeah. a really good game. Yeah. Um, if anyone... Like, yeah, you know, if anyone ever gets an opportunity to play Agricola with Andy Howman, do, do so. It. Play his copy. He has made like he has made FIMO pieces for everything in the game. Wow. So from okay. fences yeah. to families to, to sheep. Yeah, him and his yeah. wife have made um, uh, FIMO pieces for it. It's and the even most if... pimped up game you will ever see of Agricola. <laughs> and if, and if wow. you don't, if, even if you don't like Agricola, and you get a chance to play that game with Andy, just do because. It's a wonderful labour of love, the version yeah. of the game he's put together. And it's just, it, it, yeah, he still loves the game. He's he's only just started playing the Farmers of the Moor expansion, which mm. um, I think kind of by swings and roundabouts makes and breaks the game. It makes it a bit easier as a game, but because it makes it easier, actually, I think it breaks the game a little bit as well mm-hmm. because I think part of the challenge in Agricola is he's working the efficiency on the cards. But, um, yeah, it's just funny. It, that... that if you get a chance to play with him, Matt, just do it because that okay. copy of that game is is it should be like in a photo gallery. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. a museum piece. Yeah, well, I haven't played. I mean, I haven't seen seen him properly. I mean, the, most of the people that you um, that you game with, I either last time I played against them was when you decamped to the university campus where we where we work because that's where we first met. I think wasn't it? It is. Um, yeah. Or when we went to the great indoors, I've played a few games with them, but since then, because, um, Bromsgrove's not, you know, round the corner from me, unfortunately. No. So. No, no. That was, that was, I can't even remember why we decamped to the university. I think that, Oh, the ladybird was going through renovation. So wasn't the pub being refurbed. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we, we ended up at, and I, I just, there was some like really, cause we played like in a lecture room, like a small uh, It was, room. yeah, it was, uh, so for people who know the University of Birmingham campus, there's a building called the Learning Centre, which is basically a building full of either lecture rooms or computers. That's literally all that's in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Aaron um, had managed to book one of the uh, lecture rooms, so. Yeah, and it was, it was good, actually. It was, a, it was, a, it was a decent venue. It worked. Um, and I just remember like, oh. There was like a oh the Salem was a game I remember playing there um like about like uh, like, like it's like werewolf but with witches which Wasn't, is I like, think that might have been my copy I'm not sure it was your copy Matt yep, yeah it was yeah. your copy and then the mm-hmm. other the other really notable experience and if Pete Hazel was listening I'm so I'm sorry if this gets you into any form of trouble but um I feel like Andy Howman brought a copy of Chaos in the Old World um which for those of you not familiar is an area control game. Um, based in the Warhammer um, fantasy like universe, and it's proper hardcore area control and combat. And Pete 
dislikes area control as a mechanism anyway. And that sort of high conflict game is not Pete's style of game either. No. And but he'd agreed to play. We sat down and I looked I looked up and about sort of fifteen minutes into the game I looked up at Pete and I, I could see that the the only thing he wanted to do was just run from the room. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't picture a game that was less Pete than Chaos in the Old World. Okay. Um it was just one of those games. Um, but it was that that was that was another noticeable experience at the university. But it was great because we like yeah, you get yeah. to meet people like yourself, Matt, and that was that was Yeah, like it a, was a good it really um because that was the first time that we uh, that Ray and I had really played games with people outside of our um social circle. Yeah. And um, yeah. and it's really weird that we'd never met Pete because obviously he worked at the university at that time as well. He did, so, yeah. 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 Aaron was the only person because Aaron was in IT. And yeah. so I played. I think I think Aaron tried to when he found out I was getting into board games, he kept messaging me on the internal messaging thing we had at work saying, Have you tried this type of game? Have you tried this type of game? Have you tried this? And he said, I'll come over at lunchtime and we'll play a game called Star Realms. I'm like, Star Realms, that sounds interesting. And I, it was the first deck builder I ever played. And um that's why I like deck builders so much because uh, Aaron got me into Star Realms. So yeah. So, I I I neatly I've neatly dodged almost all my gaming life Dominion. Um, never played. And it. I, I've played it once with Aaron, and I will never ever ever play it again. <laughs> um, or will he not play it with you again? Oh, he'll play it with me. I, okay. uh, he'll he'll enjoy smashing me. And it was that that sort of realization. He'd obviously played it so much. But uh, it would take you a, a good year of playing it fairly constantly to get up to the standard he was playing at, and he was just like, "I'm it just smashed everyone at the table." It's yeah. like, okay, yeah, I'm not playing that again. <laughs> yeah. But Star Realms is and Hero Realms, to be fair, because they are basically yeah. the same game. Yeah, a yeah. great one. Um, and they, they they they're currently on a Kickstarter, aren't they? They've got yeah, they're just um, doing their massive big all in one box with every expansion and lots of other new stuff and. Um, I don't know if it's uh, still going or if it's just finished. Let's have a look. It might just have finished. It was definitely uh, buzzing around. Yeah. But it'll definitely be finished by the time people hear this because I'm going to be editing it soon. But yes, it has finished and it got... So they had a, a goal of $20,000. Yeah, that was, that got... was maybe small. <laughs> yeah, they got $1,043,000. Oh. Do you know what? If our Kickstarter goes half that far, <laughs> I'd even take a quarter. It, do, yeah. it does leave you in it. I think it does leave you in a really tricky position with Kickstarter, though, because yeah. it, Kickstarter for me is about like small, small independent people trying to get into. No, I agree like, entirely. Like, I hate companies that use it as a just an advertising tool. Well, yes. you've got Simon are probably the the biggest guilty party. Um, Cryptozoic. But, High up there as well, I think they they yep. do a lot. You know, they've just done their like whatever umpteenth um, epic spell wars campaign. Yes, that yeah, that's been out recently. Um, and 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 these days, I feel like um, some of the, uh, the like can't remember who who is who do the West Kingdom games. I can't remember Garfield, Shem, games. Garfield games like that. It's time for them to move off Kickstarter and onto like a more traditional distribution tech method because yeah. they've got such a strong following. They, don't re- they shouldn't really need Kickstarters now. Um, but it, it's it's that the, the sort of really challenging place for Kickstarter that hmm. you and have a and back it. You've got a lot yeah. of people running at them as merely pre-order pre-order campaigns rather than actual, I, I, you know, this project isn't happening unless you fund it. Yeah. Which 
is kind of a shame. I think yeah. it, it makes it a harder marketplace for when we launch our Kickstarter, it'll be a harder marketplace for us to enter because of that. But you just have to dodge the massive campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> like, just remember to launch on a Tuesday because that's apparently the day every single board game Kickstarter launches is on a Tuesday. Really? We'll, yeah. do when, we'll do Wednesday instead. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a thing. I don't know what it is, but um, so Karen and I have this thing where, especially over COVID, every Tuesday evening we would jump on and do a screen share and look at all the Kickstarters that had launched that day. And like eighty yeah. percent of all board game Kickstarters launch on Tuesday. No idea. Yeah, That's I wonder why. I wonder if there's like a, a secret algorithm out there. Maybe that yeah. just just you know it's after the weekend where you might have been gaming all weekend. Monday you're back to your normal work duties. Tuesday, I'll have a quick look and see what's going yeah, on. Maybe. I wonder if it is like there's a maybe there's a secret there. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But um. Okay, yeah. we've been talking for an hour and a half, so I think uh, yeah. I think we should wrap it up for the sake yep. of uh, all of our listeners' sanity. So um, <laughs> if people want to play games with you, then they can obviously go yep. along to uh, Bromsgrove Board Gamers. Um, I yep. guess if they just look for that on Facebook, they'll find you. Uh, yeah, Wednesday night at seven, 7 o'clock at the Ladybird. Um, yes. we, we are there. Um, or find us at a con is the yep. other thing. Um, yep. We'll be at Aircon this year. We'll be Tabletop Scotland, UK Games yeah, Expo. Game Expo. So yep. come and find us, and we yeah. are happy to play games. We like playing games. We're happy to teach games as well. If you've got a game that you uh, like, don't want to learn, <laughs> yep. you know that Bring we know it. it. And... and we'll, we'll happily teach that. We'll do an interview. If I remember, to... if I remember, I'll bring Verdant to Aircon, and we can have a game of that. So you can see what that's yeah, fun. That would be really fantastic, good. mate. Really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if there's anything in our collection you'd like to have a play of, feel free to ask, and uh, yeah. we'll bring that up as it's well. It's on the Geek, so feel, I think it's up to date now. Yeah, it is. So feel free to yeah, have man. a look. But yeah. if your listeners want to catch our channel, it's yeah. Ludus Full Pairs on YouTube. We will do um, a lot of reviews. We do a lot of interviews, and uh, we put out yeah. a lot of content around cons. So if you're interested in, in listening to us ramble some more, you can catch us there. <laughs> well, the Aircon will be interesting because we'll probably have a lot of crossover, so we'll be competing for views. Mm. <laughs> we, have to yeah, yeah, well, we, we you. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe we'll just collaborate on the day. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows what we'll do. Yeah, this isn't a professional channel. This is just yeah, a bit of fun. So exactly. yeah, we, we, we all do this because we enjoy the hobby, and it's just our way yeah. of um, expressing that, isn't it? it very is. much so. Very much so. Uh, are you on the Twitters and the Instagrams as well, if people want to follow yeah, you on there? Yeah, yeah, we're available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Ludus Fulpes. <laughs> Super. And Not everyone knows where to find us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone knows where to find us. We're at Togcast or offlinegamer.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess that's it. Thanks, guys. It's been, yeah. it's been a no, good old chat. And uh, I hope our listeners... Um, yeah. visit your channel and uh, you'll get a few new subscribers out of it fingers crossed thank you mate well thank, thank you for having us on it's always yeah. just always fun to talk board games to be fair yeah oh, it is it is <laughs> there's only so much talking that we can do between the two of us so actually it's nice to have uh, have someone else there as well. so uh, yeah. excellent it does help <laughs> right thanks everyone and uh, hopefully Ray will be back for our next episode so we'll see okay. you then goodbye bye all thanks everyone